Type 1 diabetes has long been considered a disease of childhood and adolescence. However, current research suggests that infant nutrition, in addition to genetics and other factors early in life, can significantly impact a child's risk for developing the condition later in life. How can we identify children at risk for type 1 diabetes, and what can we do to prevent or intervene with the disease process? You're listening to ReachMD.com, XM, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Diabetes. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. Andrew Muir, professor of pediatrics and chief of pediatric endocrinology at Emory University School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Muir. Thank you very much. Let's set the stage a little bit by talking about the prevalence of type 1 diabetes and whether you're seeing a change increasing or decreasing or changing with the age at which it's being diagnosed. The traditional prevalence of type 1 diabetes that is quoted in most papers is around 2 to 3 per 1,000 children. However, there has been an increase in the incidence of diabetes in children under 5 that's been recognized in a number of countries simultaneously and probably tracing back over at least the last 10 years. We don't really understand at this point the reason for this increase, but it's occurring at an awkward time when we're seeing both an increase now of type 1 and type 2 diabetes for totally different reasons. Now, some of the focus on research of type 1 diabetes is looking at the perinatal period and early infancy. Let's talk about some of the early risk factors for type 1 diabetes, starting with genetics. What can you tell us about genetics as a risk factor? We've known for many years that there is a constellation of immune response genes that control the major genetic predisposition to type 1 diabetes. These genes are called the HLA genes, and most people are familiar with them because of the genes that are examined when we're looking for uh, matching donors. There are some specific types of HLA genes that are put a child at highest risk for diabetes. And interestingly, if we use the terms DR3 and DR4 to name the two high-risk types, when you have a combination of one DR3 gene and one DR4 gene, your risk is maximized, whereas a DR3 homozygote or a DR4 homozygote is at somewhat less risk than one who has the heterozygous combination. Autoantibodies have also been implicated as a predictor of type 1 diabetes. What autoantibodies are we talking about here and how are they detected? Well, the oldest form of antibody was detected with a rather cumbersome assay where serum would be laid over top of a frozen pancreas section and any antibodies against the islets would bind specifically to the islets in that frozen tissue and could be identified with a fluorescent antibody. And those were called islet cell autoantibodies. As time went on, we learned the actual identity of these antibody targets, and insulin was in fact the first autoantigen or antibody target that was identified, and that was subsequently followed by identification of glutamic acid decarboxylase, which is an enzyme important in neurotransmitter formation. And then a, an unknown antigen called IA2 was later found. The, the protein is now well sequenced and understood, but the function of IA2 remains obscure. There are a host of other less frequent autoantigens that have been described but don't have clinical application at this point. Let's talk a little bit about maternal factors. Has maternal age played a role in predicting type 1 diabetes? Increased maternal age increases the risk. To me, the most fascinating thing about maternal influences on diabetes is that a child of a diabetic mother 
is at lower risk of getting the disease than a child of a diabetic father. So a father is about as twice as likely to have a child with diabetes than an affected mother is. Is there a way to make sense of that, to explain that? There are, there are lots of theories. The most, I guess none of them really have solid evidence, but the most attractive one is that there may be some protective maternal factor that is transferred during pregnancy to the baby, or perhaps some kind of imprinting process where genes that are expressed by mother's chromosome may have an effect that is different from that if the, if the child expresses the father's chromosome. Now, there seems to be a lot of talk about what an infant eats, whether it's breast milk or infant formula or when you start solid foods in children, and this can affect anything from obesity to allergies. But how might that affect a child's risk for getting type 1 diabetes? The most powerful effect that has been observed in retrospective studies has been the difference of whether you drink cow's milk or breast milk and the age at which the, the cow's milk may be introduced. So that breast milk seems to have a very protective effect that is increased as you breastfeed longer. The actual cause for this is not known. There are theories that it may be cow milk proteins that cross-react with islet antigens and set up an autoimmune response. Some have suggested there might be an infectious agent in cow's milk that sets up some kind of auto-reactive response in the islet. There is no definitive proof that of any of these at this point. There's a study going on right now called TRIGGER, T-R-I-G-R, which is a multicenter study to look at whether introduction of cow milk puts a child at higher risk than introduction of a hydrolyzate formula where all proteins have been digested down to a hypoallergenic form. So the, the interest will be to see as these children grow whether those with the uh, cow milk formula will have a higher rate of diabetes than those who get the protein hydrolysate. If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special segment, Focus on Diabetes, on ReachMD.com XM160. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. Our guest is Dr. Andrew Muir, Professor of Pediatrics and Chief of Pediatric Endocrinology at Emory University School of Medicine. We're discussing early predictors of type 1 diabetes. Now, what about some maternal infections or infections in early infancy that may lead to or be associated with type 1 diabetes in the future? Infection seems to be the most intriguing and likely precipitant, environmental precipitant of diabetes. And both maternal and infant infections have been incriminated. The list is long. There are many incriminated viruses, including measles and mumps, uh, rotavirus, and the list goes on and on. The one that seems to be of most interest is the Coxsackie B viruses, the enterovirus that causes typically diarrhea but can also cause other uh, systemic infections. The retrospective analyses showing evidence of a recent Coxsackie infection close to the time of either diabetes onset or close to the time of first recognition of autoantibodies against the pancreatic islets are the most intriguing evidence that an infection may be the precipitant of both the autoimmune process that causes diabetes and then perhaps progression of islet destruction to the point of insulin requirement. Again, a study is being done to look at this question prospectively, the TEDI study, is a prospective cohort analysis of many thousands of children around the world who are being followed for environmental, dietary, infectious, stress indicators, medications, immunizations, etc., looking prospectively for what factors may be associated 
with triggering of diabetes in those who are already genetically at risk for the condition. It's also been proposed that environmental toxins may be playing a role, and some people have suggested that immunizations may actually cause type 1 diabetes in children. Is there any evidence that might back this up? The evidence that immunizations causes diabetes is very weak and not universally accepted as valid. We certainly feel very confident at this point recommending that the benefits of immunization far outweigh the risks of immunization in that if they cause diabetes, it's only in a very, very small number of cases where that's relevant. Again, that is being tested prospectively in a manner that should allow that question to be answered definitively, but the answer is quite a number of years away still. Other uh, environmental toxins have been implicated. There are clearly medications when used in high doses be used to cause diabetes in animals for experimental purposes, but whether these really have any clinical application isn't clear. There have been toxins related to fungi, and again, probably not important for most cases of diabetes. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about screening for type 1 diabetes in children even before they have symptoms. Is such a screening process available now? There are two approaches to screening children who may be at risk for diabetes. One involves looking for genes that may predispose someone to diabetes. That would be effective at an early stage, right from birth forward, even before the process of diabetes has been started. The problem with that approach is you'll have many children who carry the high-risk genes who will never get diabetes. We're talking in the order of 3 to 5% of children who have the highest-risk genes are likely to become positive at some point. On the other hand, one can look later in the disease process at a time when autoimmunity has started and circulating autoantibodies are present, but the process hasn't progressed to the point where the beta cells producing insulin have been embarrassed to the point that there is inadequate insulin secretion. Where do you see research taking us as far as research on the horizon to intervene with the disease process itself? Right now we're balancing two processes. We're we're, we're looking at disturbing the immune balance in a patient, and the closer they get to having diabetes with overt symptoms, the more courageous we can be with an intervention so that children who are at right at diagnosis or right before diagnosis, we may be willing to use an intervention that temporarily interferes with the immune system, may leave them temporarily immune suppressed with the hope of retraining the immune system so that it becomes tolerant of the pancreas and can live in a new equilibrium where insulin is no longer being depleted. As one gets further away in our preclinical evaluations and we get to the point where a child might have genetic susceptibility but no active signs of autoimmunity, we're obviously averse to using medications that have toxic side effects potentially and we would revert to more benign interventions such as an omega-3 fatty acid intervention or perhaps a vitamin D. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Andrew Muir. We've been discussing early predictors of type 1 diabetes. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shu. You've been listening to a special segment, Focus on Diabetes, on ReachMD.com, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website, ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. And thank you for listening.